Hi, I'm Frankie Frayne, and I've been making movies since I was a kid. I've made three low-budget feature films of varying success, and I went to film school. Twice. For better or worse, I've developed a science for completing feature-length projects on pocket change, and it has a lot to do with the kinds of conversations you'll hear on this podcast with teachers, friends, and artists. You don't have to pay 40 grand a year for bad advice. This is Discount Film School. Welcome back to Discount Film School. Uh, I'm sitting down with Matthias Mac Gertz, uh, who I reached out to to do this podcast because I've kind of known him peripherally over the years. Um, my first interaction was uh, I sent out, I think, a cold copy of uh, my first two features, I Need to Lose 10 Pounds and Abo the Hugh Monkey. And, uh, and, you know, the reason, Matthias, that I sent you those mm-hmm. was because you had reviewed... Uh, or maybe the the group you were with at the time had reviewed uh, a friend's films, and they they were really really rough reviews. I thought deservedly, uh, but I, they were really rough reviews. And I, I I was like, let's let me send along uh, my films and see if uh, maybe I can get some <clears throat> uh, at the very least interesting reviews on them. And you you came back with with a, a nice review for Ten Pounds and a brilliant review for Abo the Humanke. I was so I like I wanted to put it up on the fridge and send it to like my mom. Uh, it mm. was it was so so nice. Um, I think you got the movie better than I did. Uh, so I, I was happy about that. And then over the years, um, as I sought distribution, and as I sought representation for distribution. Uh, because you're involved in that world, your name came up a couple times. Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, just recently, um, I noticed you have this new uh, website and uh, uh, kind of a list of services, howtocreatepoll.com. And it seems to take a lot of your uh, expertise over the years and a lot of your experiences and tries to put together um, a series of instructionals, um, of seminars, of, of notes, of blogs, um, whole lot of really useful services, kind of like this podcast right now. So welcome to the podcast. Thank you. And um, uh, why, don't you, why don't we give the, the, the listeners a sense of just who you are and kind of where you've, you've come from. Did, were you a, a big film guy when you were a kid, or when did you first get into just watching movies? Well, I, I kind of def- – first of all, thanks for having me. Second of all, um, uh, you know, I, I kind of define myself uh, – as a, as a producer and a speaker, but also as a teacher. And um, uh, I, I, I like teaching, and I've done teaching. Um, but um, and, and one time in my life, I was actually pursuing a credential in that. But I, I, really, I, I realized that I, I wasn't interested in um, trying to teach somebody else's lesson plan. I was really more interested in, in teaching on a college level which at the time I, I just didn't have time to pursue. Um, but no, I, I didn't start out as a film guy. I actually started out as a theater guy in, in New York City many, many years ago. And uh, I started out in drama. Um, I, uh, I'm, an alum, I'm an alumna of the, of the uh, School of Performing Arts in New York. Uh, and, and I left it uh, and went into business for a number of years outside of entertainment came back to came back to entertainment about 15 years ago when I decided to um, um, to sort of pursue my, um, my my college aspirations which is something I didn't really have time for uh, earlier on in in my life um, 
and I was going to, uh, I was taking classes at a community college, and very frankly, just for, just for shits and giggles, okay, mm-hmm. I, um, I took a class on the history of documentary film, and I was absolutely blown away by it, and, um, and I was blown away by the power, uh, potential power of documentary film, and that sort of set me on this trajectory. I was sort of contemplating at the time going for a degree in English, and by the time everything was said and done, um, I had transferred into uh, USC and uh, got accepted in the film school, got a degree in, um, in production and a second degree in history and, and minored in entertainment business and, 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 and was, really, um, uh, was really kind of blown away by the fact that I, I believe then and I believe now that film is, is basically a collaborative medium. It's, uh, you know, it, it is an art form, but it's also very derivative. Mm-hmm. Most film comes from something. As a matter of fact, every film comes from something else. At the very least, you have to write a screenplay, right. you know, or you have to write a treatment. So you have to put something down on paper, and then you have to interpret it into an entirely different language. Um, and this isn't done usually by one person. I, I, I do understand the auteur theory and Truffaut and, and all of that, mm-hmm. but... Uh, but, but, and I think there are such things as auteurs, but I think they're m- more far and few between than, than we, we really like to believe. And that film is, is made by groups of people. Um, specifically, it's made by groups of specialists. It's not a medium for, for general practitioners. It's a medium for specialists. And you get this whole group of specialists. I mean, it, it's kind of wiggy if you think about it. You get this whole group of specialists all to show up at exactly the same time, you know, and, and you blow a whistle and you ask them all to take a giant step forward together mm-hmm. in tandem. And they do. And when it works really well, uh, the end result is some really good product, you know, hopefully a film or nowadays uh, TV shows or, or podcasts. But, 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 it, but it, uh, you know, just like they say about raising children, it takes, it, you know, it, uh, it takes a village. Well, making making good film takes a village too, and I was really um, I was really taken by that, and, um, and and it was the process that that sort of seduced me um, from from a much easier life into uh, into entertainment. So, what what brings you from what bridges the gap between um, oh, I'm interested in this, and and um, kind of reigniting your academic interest? Uh, and, and applying that into, you know, what's, what's the first project? Um, you mean as far as the direction I'm taking now? I, well, 15 years ago when you decided, uh, I think I'd like to get back into, uh, my college aspirations. Uh, how do you, how do you go from, oh, you know, documentary film is really powerful into now I'm actually active in something. Oh, well, that's a question I haven't been asked in, in a long time. Um, (laughs) It was um, it was kind of like blinders, you know. I mean, um, I had to make a. Um, I took a production class, and we had to make a commercial, um, a one minute com- spec commercial. And and I think like most people that get involved, that get sort of enamored with film. I mean, you you envision yourself as a director, mm-hmm. right? Uh, everybody does. Yeah. 
Nobody um, goes even the no, actors. Nobody goes to film. Very few people go to film school to become a producer. Right. They are, everybody wants to be an actor, uh, be, be a director. So, uh, and I thought so too. And I had to put this, um, I had to put this one minute commercial together, spec commercial. And by the time it was done, um, I had this, I had this, um, I had this teacher who was sort of, was met, sort of mentoring me, and he was a he was a director. And when it was over, and, and we had a budget, we had an incredibly tiny budget. And and I put together, and and I loved the pre production process, and I loved the scheduling process, um, and and I loved doing all of that. And I realized, and and it was an it was a it was an an uber ultra micro budget. And I realized. <laughs> very early on in the pre-production process that if I could get a week ahead of everybody else in the class that I would be able to sell them all of the things that I needed to buy for like 50% of what I paid for it mm. after I used it. Recoup all the costs of your production. Recoup all the costs. <clears throat> and, but by doing that, I could actually extend my budget by 50%. Right. All right. And that's what I did. Mm -hmm. Um, and when, and when it was all said and done, he came to me and he, he, he basically said, I've never seen anybody, um, do it the way you did it. He says, you're a natural producer and that's what you should do. And I said, yeah, but I want to be a director. And he said, that's all well and good what you want to be, but you're a natural producer. Yeah. And I stewed about that for about a month. And, um, and since I was sort of coming into it, you know, at a little bit of an older age, I wasn't, you know. 1821 anymore it seemed to make sense mm -hmm. it seemed to be a good balance between both the creative pursuit and the business pursuit um and i had spent so many years in um uh in pure business that you know it kind of changes your your brain waves a little bit you 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 exercise that part of your brain and it's hard to turn it off so it seemed like a good match and then do you do you launch into a number of uh of films where you're the producer on them, or or do you take a different angle? Is it's what's the next step? Um, well, I mean, I I, I finished USC. I so you're I, in LA. I, you're in LA for all of this. I'm in Los Angeles for yep. all of this. Yeah. So I finished at USC, and and my my original um, my original intent was to sort of go into the studio system. Mm -hmm. Um. Uh. But uh, one of the things you find is that if you don't know, if you don't understand, if you don't understand the, 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 the sensibility of Hollywood, if you don't understand how it works, it, it seems over, overwhelming. It seems very daunting. Um, and, and, coming into, and coming into it sort of in midlife... Uh, I wasn't exactly what people were looking for in uh, in, in PAs and interns and right. you know and, and assistants. They want looking, the young labor. They, yeah, looking for young labor right out yeah. of college that can work you know eighteen twenty hours a day and 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 smile and right. and be happy with that. Um, and I really wasn't interested in going into the mailroom at CAA. Uh, Maybe I should have, but I wasn't interested in it. So um, I sort of found I had to sort of step off the path and, and, and figure out my own, my own way of doing it. Um, and, um, 
And part of what happened actually was um, during my um, during my college career, I did a half a dozen internships. All right, um, and one of them was in a management company. And from that, I um, uh, I sort of got into talent management for a while, and it seemed like it would be a good thing to do. Um, and uh, and I started getting a lot of scripts because writers started sending me material, and I came across this really remarkable horror script that was very well developed, and I thought it was uh, uh, it, it was a wonderful. Um, uh, what do you call it? Um, um, it, it, it spoke, it spoke to social angst and it, and it was everything that I kind of believed in. And, and, um, and using the contacts that I made at USC, um, I got, uh, I got to Toby Hooper's, um, manager and I got Toby to read the script and Toby was willing to attach it to direct it. And um, I got a producer, I got a TV producer that was looking to cross over into film, interested in attaching to it. And I got, a, and I got an, an entertainment attorney uh, that was interested in putting all the elements together. And we contacted, at the time, it was Fox, uh, Fox Home Video. And they were interested in possibly coming up with $5 million to make it. And to make a long story short, it took about six months for it to all fall apart. Oh, it fell apart. <laughs> it, it all fell apart, yeah. It took about six months for it to fall apart. Uh, Fox pulled out. They weren't, weren't going to be funding R-rated stuff anymore at the time and, and a whole bunch of things. But by that time, I was already down a certain path. I was on a, sort of an independent path. And I just kind of kept going. And I, was, um, and I was, you know, writing reviews online and... Um, and I was going to festivals, and, and I, I sort of had, you know, uh, impetus behind me. And it was, um, you know, and I was attaching material and trying to put the elements together. And, um, and then I sort of, and, 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 the, and the part of the equation that always seemed to be um, daunting was distribution right. on, a, on an independent level. So I wanted to understand how that worked. And... Um, so I just sort of put blinders on and started barreling in that direction, and and I got an offer to uh, I got an offer to join a small uh, startup uh, uh, boutique uh, film distribution company, and uh, you know got to use the expertise I had and got to learn other things I had and did acquisitions and did development and. Um, Got familiar with that side of the business too, and when that relationship ended, I moved into um, uh, I moved more into executive producing and um, and producers repping. Right. Um, and and the upshot of that was that I I began to realize when I started looking back at how the business was changing. When I, as I started uh, as I started looking at the fact that DVDs were uh were dying right and because of that what was happening was that small films that i had represented before things that i was interested in like like your films mm -hmm. um no longer really had a um 
were no longer really marketable. And I don't mean marketable from the point of view of getting eyeballs on them. You can always get eyeballs, all right, especially nowadays with the internet. Right. But it was a question of, of being able to quantify them, being able to get back the investment to the filmmaker as well as get an audience for the films. And DVDs were a critical part of that because the profit margin in DVDs was astronomical. And they sold great for so long. And they sold great for so long. And, and not only were they, were they a, a, a foundation element of studio films, but you could, you could do an independent film and you could count on selling 10 or 20,000 DVDs. And 10 or 20,000 DVDs, even if you split it with the distributor, was more than enough to make back a micro budget. Right. So, so it was a viable business model. And within 24 to 36 months, that business model absolutely collapsed. And, um, and that kind of brought me full circle back to, okay, if this isn't going to work anymore, how do, um, how do creatives cut through and make it in Hollywood? And that started me on a, on a, on a research journey. Um, and I was sort of looking into that when all of a sudden I got a phone call well, hold on a second. I got to backtrack. No. Um, here's what happened. Sometimes, sometimes you have to remember your own history. Yeah. Here's what happened. Um, because of the reviews I was doing online and because of the things that I cared about, and I was also, um, I was also a script-a-palooza judge all right, for, for scripts and, and a bunch of other things that were important to me, I got a phone call from this uh, school that worked with writers. And uh, they invited me to come up to uh, Studio City. They were sort of having their – it was an online writing school. And they, and they were bringing in all of their writers. I'm sorry. It's a little convoluted. But, all right, but they were bringing in all of their writers uh, for like this, the final weekend thing. And they invited me to come in as a, as, a, as a producer to listen to some pitches and give advice and all of these things, which I did. And uh, which I, I was thrilled to do. And I went in and did it for a day. And um, – and the writers that I spoke with were uh, – the, the feedback they gave me was that uh, my advice, my feedback to them was very complete and they really appreciated it and, and all of this. And it turned out that one of the writers was the co-producer of the um, – um, I want to say Big Bear. Big Bear Film Festival? Yeah. Okay. Uh, in, in California? Mm-hmm. So she, so she gives me a call a few months later and asked me if I'd be interested in being on a, on a panel that we're going to have up there for uh, distribution. And I said, absolutely. And, um, and just as an aside, I said to her, and by the way, if you need a speaker, let me know. And she said, no, okay, we're full. It's not a problem. Yep. Um, and then about two weeks before the festival, she called me back and said, listen, we decided to add a day. Do you still want to speak? And I said, sure. And I hung up the phone and I had no idea what I was going to talk about. All right. So, um, so I started connecting some of the dots from the research I'd been doing that I talked about before. And I started, I took, I took a couple of long walks on the beach and started saying, well, what do you really care about? What do you think is important? What, you know, what do you want to talk to creatives about? And, um, and what I felt was important was the fact that Hollywood needs creative people and creative people need the, the money and the access that Hollywood has and how do you how do you get them from point A to point B? Mm-hmm. Um, 
and I started and I started really delving into it and found out that um, there is a system and there are skill sets and it can be done. And that's when I put together and, and, the, and the talk that I put together at um, at Big Bear was ninety uh, percent of the iceberg. You know, uh, which essentially was understanding understanding all of the stuff that you never see, you never hear, you never talk, nobody, nobody talks about, that, that isn't the 10% that you see on Access Hollywood and Tonight Show and the, you know, um, and the, uh, the calendar section of the LA Times. And um, it sort of evolved. And I enjoyed it. It, it tied together all the things that I enjoy. Uh, it, it tied together entertainment and film and producing mm-hmm. and, um, and teaching. And, and I've talked subsequently, and um, that's kind of how it all came about. And that's coalescing years of ground-level producing, producer's rep, distribution, uh, pretty much everything you had learned into as pithy of a talk as you could kind of come up with. Basically, yeah. I mean, it was a combination of ex- experiential uh, information, but it was, but it was, but it's also been, but it's also been. Uh, it, it's also been a, a substantial part of research that I've done subsequent to that. Right. Bec- because it 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 turns out that that there's an enormous amount of material on the subject out there. It's just in bits and pieces right. spread out over a lot of different literature. Um, some of it current, some of it not current. Um, You're aggregating all that, and I'm sort of aggregating it all. Yeah, yeah. that's yeah. that's that, that's exactly what I'm doing, and I've kind of and I've kind of like boiled it down to a system that you can use um, to to actually to actually make it work. So the talk you f- you felt that the talk was successful, and you wanted to keep that going, keep that conversation going. Was that kind of what it was? It wasn't that I thought it was successful. Mm. It was that the audience thought it was successful, right. and the feedback that I got was 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 very uh, very heartfelt and very telling. Um, so then I repeated it. I, I did it again at the uh, International Family Film Festival, and the feedback I got from there was very similar. And at that point, it was like, okay, you know, maybe there's something here. And I was at a transitional place career-wise, anyhow. It wasn't that I wasn't producing, and it wasn't that I wasn't uh, repping some films for distribution, but it was very obvious to me that I was at a crossroads. Either I was going to have to abandon a lot, a lot of the, um, a lot of the small type of edgy product that I liked, uh, and find um, higher-profile films with uh, bigger bankable cast. Mm-hmm. Um, or I was going to find something else, right? Um, and um, and and the idea of speaking and 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 doing seminars on this seemed like a really good a really good mix yeah. uh, for me. And it also and in and in talking to people that I've spoken to both academically and in film festivals. Um, uh, and and also uh, uh, film commissions in different states and different cities. Um, the um, the universal understanding and belief that yeah, there's nobody really addressing this. Um, it, it, it all just made sense. Yeah, and it you all can just made sense. You can really sort of. Um, I mean, it's a very ethical 
kind of, you know, your heart's in the right place kind of pursuit, it feels like. Um, you, you sent me kind of a cool email when I asked you to do the podcast uh, where you were like, let's talk about uh, uh, how not to lose your soul in this place. Yeah. Well, that's, well, you know, that's, that's the thing. I mean, I mean, one of the interesting things is that, um, and, and, and let me also preface this by saying that, that even though part of me has always been in business, part of me has always been a creative as well. Right. So I've, I've always felt, I've always felt synergy with, with, with the sensibility. I mean, you, you talk to creative people about things like, um, uh, networking and, and their eyes glaze over because that's not, that's not the life they want. Right. At, and I respect that. I mean, having spent an enormous amount of time in the business world, I mean, I'm, I'm not frankly enamored with it. Um, uh, it it's a great place to visit. I just don't want to, <laughs> I don't want to live there. Yeah. Um, but, but at the same time, at the same time, Hollywood has always been and continues to be a business of personal relationships. And we live in a very interesting age when creative people are spending more and more time in less and less contact with real human beings mm -hmm. and more time on texting and emails and uh, in totally virtual relationships that are not helping them to develop the personal skills that you need to, uh, to make the connections that the entertainment business is based on. Right. It's, a, it's a very interesting irony, you know, that, um, and because of this, what's happening is that Hollywood is suffering from a lack of, of creativity and, and a lack of new uh, young um, creatives that are coming up through traditional uh, uh, pathways. A lot of the original material is now coming through YouTube right. or it's coming through the Internet or yeah. Hulu. But, but very little of it is coming through direct pathways. Very little of it is resulting in uh, new people with new visions saying, I want to be an executive producer in television. I want to, you know, go into the system. Well, don't you find that, that to work outside the system? That more, you know, writers slash directors are also wearing more hats. And um, I mean, I know for, for you know, as, as a filmmaker myself, um, I never, as you said, I, I it was never my intention to learn anything about uh, the business side of this. But out of necessity, I've learned a tremendous amount. Mm -hmm. um, and what I've found over definitely the last, let's even say, two years. Mm -hmm. um, I've found that, that creators are going directly to their audience because of these virtual relationships. Uh, they're, they're kind, there is a middleman that's kind of phasing out. Now, granted, the, that audience is very divided and very small yeah. uh, for each filmmaker. But that does yeah. seem to be the, what, you know, the trend. Yes. There, there, well, yes and no. And I'll tell you why I say that. Um, there's a few things. Number one, um, creativity I, and I know a lot of creators probably don't want to hear this, but creativity has always benefited from gatekeepers. Right. All right. Because um, because creativity always benefits from boundaries, limitations, L limitations. Right. Create creativity benefits from li limitations, and there are dozens of examples of 
projects that had money thrown at them that ended up, you know, uh, becoming a mess for just that reason, because you, you, you need that. And, uh, and I was talking to, um, I was talking to one of the, the, the engineers a few years back who was actually part of the team that designed the internet. And he was talking in retrospect. He was talking about what they had done. And he said, we made one mistake Mm -hmm. in putting the internet together. And I said, what was that? He says, we should have charged for it. He said, by making it free, it, nobody has any respect for it. It's, and it's taken as almost a right instead of a privilege. Just ubiquitous. It's, yeah. And, and, and therefore, I mean, look, Look, look what's happened. Even just what you said, you want to get, you want to get eyeballs on a film mm. and, but you need, but people need to make a living. Right. So, so, uh, so where is that balance between a creative life where you can actually make a living at it and a creative life where yes, you may get your product out, but you can't make a living at it and you end up, you know, doing something that you don't like all the time, yeah. uh, because you can never get the two things combined. So, um, um, so, so even, yes, so you're, you're right where this, where this last conversation started. Mm-hmm. So yes, a lot of filmmakers have learned the business side of it, but for every filmmaker who has the type of mindset where they can keep their creativity and yet do the business of entertainment, there are a hundred, a thousand that can't. Sure. Or that don't that, that don't have that sensibility. They they want to be pure creatives, and they're not interested in making direct connections with their audience. In addition to that, for film in particular, as I said when we first started off, I believe film at its best is collaborative, and you need those teams of people. And I have I have watched thousands of independent films um, that I've reviewed to you know, to either uh, take them off a of distribution or to represent them or to review them. And many of them were good films that could have been great films if one person hadn't been doing six different jobs. Yeah. All right? So, so my feeling is, is that creatives are better served by being able to develop the people skills to put together teams of creative people to make the product and, de- and and if you're going to develop if you're going to develop business skills well you can develop the business skills to directly go into the hollywood system instead of working around the periphery of it mm-hmm. you know it's it's the same you know if, if you're going to do that so um granted yes there there are many there are many routes now that there weren't there are options but anyway, you're dealing with this this very sudden change in the creative yes. and business model, which is mm-hmm. there are many more filmmakers. Yes. There are many more films. Mm-hmm. There are many more um, distribution outlets. And what I mean by that is iPhone, you know, you, 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 yeah. you can get to the viewer in a lot, you know, a lot more different ways. Right? Yes. And, and, and I, I think what I've at least just what I've observed mm-hmm. is that that's made for 
um, that's expanded our culture of consumption. So there's more people watching more movies, more interested in what's coming out. So th- th- there's a lot more media interest, even even just in the layperson. Um, but I've also noticed that the and, and I think there was there was a kind of a cool article in Variety a couple of years ago from the um, I think it was the uh, head of animation at uh, at Disney about yeah. how how kind of like tent poles are really tent poles now. So you, yeah. you you spend way more money, a lot more money on your big tentpole films per week, and small films are a lot smaller, and there's not a lot in between. There's not a lot of room for the Soderberghs, like he was saying. You know, the ten yeah. million dollar films that you have to spend twenty million dollars promoting. Yeah, well, it's the it's um, what I yes. The bottom line is yes, but the, 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 what what I see it basically as is that we're creating a um, we're creating a marketplace that's that's completely and totally risk averse. Yes. Um, on the big side of things, yes, it's becoming all tent poles, and the studios end up only making 150 movies a year. And even with making 150 movies a year, um, even I mean, even this weekend that we're talking, you have a, a, a major tentpole film that's tanking. Right. And it's becoming the, the the second disaster of the season. That White House Down movie. Yeah, White House Down. Um, so you know, I mean, even mistakes being made at at, at that level. Um, but let's not talk about it from that level. Okay. Let's talk it from the. Let's talk about it from the, uh, the 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 issues with regard to the creative level, because the internet and uh, and and filmmakers going directly and filmmakers not having the people skills or the patience anymore to build a production team. And the technology allowing one person to do half a dozen jobs creates more content, but it doesn't create more quality. Right. And and I don't think it I, I don't think it creates a an audience that is more um, uh, invigorated by it. I think it creates an audience that that, that is that is number. Yeah, because they're completely overwhelmed with product, and and the irony of it is is that for the independent creative, it, it it's almost self imploding, and and let me explain to you what I mean by that. It used to be, not very long ago, that on Friday night, you would go to Blockbuster, um, with your girlfriend, and you would stand there for you go through the aisles for the better part of an hour, and you ended up. And you ended up renting three movies. Mm-hmm. You ended up you ended up uh, you ended up renting the tent pole that you didn't go to the theaters to see, right? You ended up renting a film, um, uh, a romantic comedy, all right, that uh, looked like it might be good. And then you ended up renting something totally obscure. A risk, right? Yep. A risk, exactly. You took a risk mm-hmm. on something small and independent. And the reason you could do these things is because you stood there and you picked up the box and you read the back, right? And you, and you mold it over and you thought about it and eventually you said, okay, fine, let's give it a shot. We'll see it over the course of the weekend, 
all right? And when I was in distribution, when I was purely in distribution, we spent an enormous amount of time on the artwork on the box because the goal, the goal was to get someone to physically pick up the box. Oh, yeah. If we knew that if they picked up the box, it was an 85% chance they were going to rent the movie, mm-hmm. all right? So the artwork and, and how, you did the, 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 how you set the box up was really important. Wow. What a different now, world. Nowadays, what happens... Nowadays, what happens is you and your girlfriend sit there on Friday night and you say, let's rent a movie. So you go to, to, to video on demand and you start going through video on demand. And there's 100,000 movies on video on demand and there's nothing to pick up and there's no box to look at on the back. Right. And, there's a, and, there's, and there's like two lines of explanation about what the film is. And 90% of the time, you end up, quote unquote, settling for a film that has an actor in it that you know. Yeah. Or for a genre that you like. Mm-hmm. And all of the experimental is disappearing. In other words, if you want to do a comparison between what I see as happening in film and the music business, it used to be that you bought an album. And you bought the album because you wanted a song. But there were 11 other songs on the album, and, and you listened to them, yeah. and it exposed you to some really good music that didn't make necessarily the top 100 right. on the radio, all right? But, um, but it was great stuff. Um, the, 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 song that, the song that I can think of, uh, it was an Elton John song that, that almost nobody I talked to knows anything about, and it was called Texas Love Song. Mm-hmm. It's an Elton John song called Texas Love Song, and it's absolutely brilliant satire. It's brilliant satire. I don't remember which of his albums it was on, but the point is nobody heard that song unless you bought and listened to the entire album. All right? And the same thing's happening in film. A lot of small films, yes, you get a very small slice, and maybe you get a couple of thousand eyeballs on, um, on, a, on a, a, a small film, But ultimately, we've gone back 30 years in film where foreign distributors and um, are are looking for are looking for bankable cast. We're all back to bankable cast. Isn't that interesting that I I, I never quite thought about it that way that, you know, the I, I, I think what we're all led to believe is that. Increase in options means increase in options for filmmakers that we're we have more outlets to get to the audience. But realistically, uh, the audience is just falling back on traditional ways of selecting a film to watch, which is as broad and, rec- you know, it requires more marketing than ever. Exactly. I mean, uh, there was a um, there's a TV show. I, the name of it escapes me on um, um, on YouTube. There's, there's an original there's an original television show on YouTube right now. Um, and. Um, but YouTube is giving filmmakers, just like Hulu, well, Hulu's a little different, but YouTube, for example, is giving filmmakers money to make television series. Yeah. But what the filmmakers don't realize is YouTube is giving them money to make it, but they're not investing any money in marketing it. Right. They're leaving it completely up to the filmmaker to herd an audience to it. And... Um, uh, and, and no less a successful producer uh, as Walter Latham, all right, who has 
tremendous credits, um, walked into walked into the internet market to make original content with YouTube. Um, found himself shocked because he got a budget, small budget, but he got a budget. He made the content, and then all of a sudden found out that YouTube expected him to herd an audience, to herd eyeballs, to watch his mm. his material. Right. And he never had that problem before. And he was quoted as saying, TV is very easy. Um, you, you get the ratings, and they give you another season. He understands that. Very um, simple, yep. But, but, YouTube, but YouTube beats me because they're asking him to become a, a, a marketing guy. And, and I learned a long time ago from, from my work outside of entertainment that there is a big difference between sales and marketing. And, and being able... Um, one of the books that I read uh, compared producing to herding bees with a switch. Okay? And, and marketing in, in the internet age, in the age of YouTube and Hulu, is sort of like that too. You, you know, and Kickstarter, same thing. You know, uh, you have to herd, herd bees with a switch. How do you get, how do you cut through the, you know, the, the, the white noise and with all of the content that's out there and get people to watch your material? And there is so much content out there that what happens to the audience is the audience is overwhelmed. And they just want two hours of entertainment right. and they don't want to be disappointed so they end up they end up going back to, to things that they know they end up there um, and the upshot is that filmmakers like yourself while you may be able to get your content directly to the audience you're not able to quantify it and that's one of the reasons why I found myself at a crossroads because I could quantify what I was doing in relation to DVDs but I can't quantify what I'm doing in relation to VOD and digital downloads because the numbers are so astronomically small yeah. that you've got to get incredibly large numbers of people to download um, on VOD and, and digital. Um, and, and you have to keep in mind that, that now you're, and you're still splitting that. Mm -hmm. You know, so... Right. You know, so so it, it, you're renting a movie for three for three dollars and ninety nine cents. Well, by the time it gets to the filmmaker, he's only making seventy nine cents of that. Yeah. How do you make back a budget at that rate? You won't. Yeah. But but so so you know so that's why I feel that young creative people need to come back to an understanding of what the people skills are to go directly into Hollywood and, and make an impression. I, Hollywood, it, it's, and it's important for the industry that, 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 that the traditional roots not be abandoned. Yeah. You know, in favor of, um, in favor of, of, of alternatives. Right. Of more you know? of a Wild West distribution approach. Um, well, there's no question about the fact that the internet right now is where television was back in the 1950s. Mm -hmm. there, there, there's no question about that. And, yeah, talk, um, talk about that just a little bit about how how the two are analogous. Um, let me think. Um, 
Well, there are. Uh, I need an example. Um, there, there, there are there are types of shows being done, um, uh, original content to the internet mm-hmm. that uh, traditional television and film is scared to do. Um, it's opening up, but but they've been scared. But they've been scared to 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 touch certain things, um, and it's bringing you know it's it's. I think I think in a lot of ways that the internet is going to find its its own not so much in film. I think it's going to find it more in in episodic, right? Um, because it it uh, I, I think it actually works better for that. Um, but it is a wild west. I mean, there was an original. Uh, here's a great example. Um, there was a political comedy about a year ago, which was original content that the television stations wouldn't touch. Um, the filmmaker did an episode of it, uh, and he sold it to Hulu. And Hulu gave him about $3 million to do 12 episodes. Yep. That's about $250,000 an episode. So that's like making 12 movies, Yep. all right, for $250,000, which I can appreciate if you're a filmmaker that is used to working on with a $25,000 budget. That sounds like an awful, an awful lot of money. Right. But if you're trying to do television quality material, it's not a lot of money, yep. all right? So, um, so what Hulu did was they, 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 first of all, they bought the material, so they owned it lock, stock, and barrel. So the, so the, the, uh, the writer, filmmaker owned nothing, all right? Uh, gave him $3 million. He spent six months doing it. Um, got the show on uh, Hulu. And, um, and eventually, because of that, he got an offer from one of the networks to, to bring the t- because he got enough eyeballs on it mm. to bring it into uh, television on a cable station. But to get it, but when I say it's the Wild West, you have to understand that he's getting paid $3 million to make 12 episodes, whereas in television, you get $3 million to make one episode. Right. All right? So, again, here's a situation where, um, where a filmmaker is working for a very small amount of money, if you have all your expenses, um, even though he's getting, getting content out there. Look, I'm not, I'm not saying that... I'm not saying that the alternative uh, sources to get content out there aren't viable. I mean, to, to say that would be ridiculous yeah, yeah, yeah. In, in this day and age. And I'm not even saying that alternative sources of funding are not viable. I mean, Kickstarter has proven itself, all right? But you made a very good point a, a few moments ago when you said that in the last two years as a filmmaker, you've, you've adjusted and you've spent time learning the business side of it and, and so on and so on and so forth. And, and one of the things that I've said, when filmmakers have asked me, uh, well, why should I hire you to represent my film? Why should I just do myself? Why should I pay you? And I said, you don't have to. It just, spend, it, it just depends on how you want to spend your time. You know? Um, there's a wonderful, brilliant documentarian out there named Andy Timoner. All right, uh, she's won the um, Grand Jury Prize at Sundance twice. Her last documentary was uh, "We Live in Public," which you may or may not be familiar with. It's a brilliant documentary. Um, Andy is a very good business person. 
she has no problem doing the festival circuit and marketing her films and doing all of the business aspects of it. And she likes doing a film for X number of years and then spending X number of years doing the business side. Right. On the other hand, there are a lot of filmmakers that really just want to make two or three movies a year and they don't want to have anything to do with business. And they want to move on to the next film while you're producing. They want to be directors. They yeah, want right. to be writers. They want to be filmmakers. You know, and this goes back to what I said at the beginning that I believe that when creativity is at its best, you have a team yeah. of specialists making a project work. And that team of specialists isn't just on the creative side, it's on the business side too. That's all, okay? What I try to do through my website, How to Create Pull, and in the, and in the speeches and the seminars that I give, is not teach creatives how to be business people. I'm trying to teach them how to be people people. I'm trying to, you, you know, um, th th there was a, there was a wonderful talent manager named Bernie Brillstein in Hollywood who used to say that in Hollywood you have two types of friends. You have friends and you have Hollywood friends. Right. And how successful you're going to be is directly related to your ability to tell the difference between the two. Yep. Okay? But you need them both. And, and that has never changed. And that has never changed. Um, on some of the... On some of the uh, discussions that I have on LinkedIn, I hear writers uh, rail about how agents will never give them a chance and nobody wants to read their material. And, and none of that is true. It's just that there's a sensibility and there's a way of going about doing things. And a lot of it has to do with developing relationships. I mean, there's something in Hollywood called a general meeting, which is an opportunity for people in development to get to know you as a creative. Just lunch, and, maybe, yeah. Yeah, at, not even lunch, just in their offices for half an hour. It's a right. general meeting. And there's five steps to a general meeting. You know, it's, it's, a, it's a clear cut. There, there's a, there's a, um, a procedure. There's a process. There's a, um, uh, an expectation of how you go through it, right? It's very much like pre-production. It's very structured, Okay. Um, I understand that as part of the creative uh, temperament, uh, we chafe at structure. But it's a double-edged sword. It's that structure that makes us great as creatives. Right. Okay? And, the sh and, and learning the structure of a meeting is no less important than, than learning the structure of you know, mise-en-scene or, 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 or you know, or, or, or a narrative or, yeah, or, or how to write a script. Hmm. It's except that you're actually in front of people and you have to be able to explain yourself succinctly in front of people. And, um, and I've had a lot of creatives talk about how nobody wants to help me. And I know that to be totally untrue. I know more people in this business that would love to mentor mm -hmm. other people. But they're not going to mentor other people if they don't have a sense that that person is going to follow through and is going to do the work. So, um, yeah, that's, that's always my advice to the creatives is I, I have never had a hard time 
getting people to work with me on films. I've never had a hard time imparting a, a vision, but I, I don't think that's necessarily because of my skill. Yeah. Although I think in time I've developed that, but I think that it has so much to do with having completed things, <laughs> mm-hmm. being able to have a little proof in the pudding that I see something through to the finish line. And that's right. why may, maybe making, you know, one or two micro budget films at first with no other goal than to complete them. It, yeah. it has value. Mm-hmm. No. Well, and, and I'm not saying, and I'm not saying that I think everybody should make a movie. Mm-hmm, okay. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I mean, uh, but that doesn't necessarily mean that I think everybody should show the movie they make. Right. Right. Okay. All right. I mean, Steven Spielberg Agreed. says that the first, I mean, Steven Spielberg says that the first movie he made is in his underwear drawer and it's going to stay there forever. Right. You know, that I think is the difference is that, um, is that we're in a, we're in a time when we've been seduced into believing that we can be honest all the time and we can show all of our work and everything that we do and that, um, and that social skills and etiquette have no place. And, and my experiences have been just the opposite. My experience has been that in this day and age, when so many people are living in public, um, that those things have become even more important. Yeah. Um, and I don't see them as being, um, dishonest, you know, I mean, um, etiquette is sort of the grease that makes human relationships work, mm-hmm. and and it's imp- and it's important stuff. Now Hollywood has <laughs> Hollywood's a little convoluted, and, and it has maybe more of it than than other businesses, um, but there's a reason for that. And and can I share that with you? Please. All right. All right. Um, I've been very privileged in my life. I've, I've spent significant amounts of times in about half a dozen different industries, all right, including entertainment. And, uh, and, and I've noticed a certain number of commonalities between those businesses. The first one is that every industry thinks that it's unique and special and different from everybody else, right. which is usually not the case. Yeah. All right? But the second thing is, is that um, with the exception of the entertainment business, Every other industry I was in was very, very similar. The only thing that was different was the language. Yes. Just the language. And as soon as you learned the language, you sort of could hit the ground running. Now, Hollywood is similar in that. There is a language. And, and, part, of, and part of what HowToCreatePull.com is all about is, is just that. It's, it's learning the language, both, both verbal and, um, and nonverbal. But every other business that I've been in, ultimately the business is about one thing. It's about helping somebody solve a problem and making money. Mm-hmm. Okay? Um, it's, it's about selling a product. Sure. Now, no question about the fact that you have that in, in entertainment as well. But entertainment has another component. And that's what makes it different. And that component is fame. And no other industry that I've worked in has that component. And, that comp- and, and understanding that is very important because entertainment is a very difficult industry. And there are a lot easier ways to make a living than going into the entertainment business. In any aspect of it, there are easier ways to make a living. Right. All right? Um, so if you're going to go into entertainment, 
there has to be a reason other than just money that you go into it. And one of the big aspects of that is the fame aspect of the entertainment business. Whether or not you're in front of the camera, many people in this industry are attracted to notoriety. The notoriety and the right. attachment and being, you know, being attached to people who are in the news all the time and the popular culture aspects of it. And you have to accept, you have to accept those things about it. And because of that, it changes. That, it, and that's what I'm trying to say to you. And that's why it has a language all its own. And that's why that has to be learned. Yeah. Um, and that's why it's always going to be a people business. Because ultimately, ultimately it's, a, it's a business that is founded on creative sensibility. Now, it's quantified by bean counters, but it's, but it's built upon a creative sensibility. And that creative sensibility ultimately requires the human, the human connection. So help us understand um, how you want us to – uh, to use how to create poll.com. Um, I'm noticing there's a, I mean, a lot of free advice there. There's blog posts, there's uh, mm -hmm. uh, information on writing your log line or, or about networking. Talk mm -hmm. to us about the website and why we should go. Well, um, well, first of all, it's free to go there. I mean, that's, <laughs> that's the internet age. There's not, yep. It doesn't cost anything to check it out. Um, yeah, th there's an enormous amount of uh, uh, free information that I put up on the website. Ultimately, what I'm looking for is the opportunity to speak to, uh, to creative people um, and, uh, and, frankly, to, to quantify that for myself. Yep. Um, but um, but there, is a, uh, there is a newsletter. You can sign up for free. There's a 20-page report on um, uh, how, and, uh, how to live in Los Angeles and the things you need to know. Uh, that breaks it down. There, there's a there's a lot of there's a lot of free information on there. Um, there's a five minute uh, clip of uh, one of my speeches that you can sort of take a look at. Oh, great! Yeah. Okay, it's a YouTube video. Um, see, so we're, we're we're all self filmmaking. Yeah, see, you'll, um, do, you'll do it. <laughs> right. Okay. So yeah, I mean, um, it's it's uh, it's there as a resource. I'm trying to put a lot of information uh, in one place. Um, but I'm also trying to um, make people aware of me and, and in, in this context and what I'm trying to do and uh, give them an opportunity to contact me to come speak to them and to their groups. Yeah. Well, I'm, gonna, I'm, I'm definitely going to uh, sign up for the newsletter and check a lot of that out because I don't want to lose contact. And I want to I keep this conversation going. I want to learn more about it. You've, uh, you've really kind of provided um, – a very different perspective than many other guests. And, uh, I can't thank you enough for speaking so frankly on the podcast and, uh, and being the guy you've been for all these years. Uh, uh we all thank you for that. Well, I, I appreciate that very much. It, it, it really means a lot to me. Um, and, um, I look forward to an opportunity to, to keep doing it and, um, and, and encourage people to contact me. Very good. Uh, Matthias Mac Gertz, how to create pull, dot com um why wouldn't you go uh sign up for the newsletter i'm doing it right now thank you again matthias and i hope we can talk very soon sounds great thanks for the opportunity frankie okay talk to you soon take care bye-bye